0: Building the fashion businesses of the future together. Welcome to the future of fashion business. The future of fashion business is about helping aspiring fashion entrepreneurs and designers start their own successful fashion brands by learning from the best, most experienced people in the industry. I am your host, Esteban Julian. For more advice and to learn more about how I started my own fashion brand, make sure you follow my fashion journey on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Future of Fashion Business. I am your host, Esteban Julian. And on this week's episode, I sat down with Julieta Dexter, the founder and CEO of The Communication Store. This has been one of my favorite episodes, if not my favorite episode so far. So make sure you pay very, very close attention and really learn from everything that Julieta talked about. Her story in the industry was fascinating and not only that what I personally find extremely admirable about her personal story is to see the amount of success that she's had and look at how she was able to create that success by following not only her passions but also a life of integrity of ethics and applying those principles in her own business. A business that still to this day, no matter how far they've grown and no matter how many people they keep bringing into their company, still follows the same principles, the same values that Julieta decided to pursue from the very, very beginning. A very, very inspiring episode that I'm sure you guys will enjoy. So that being said, make sure you pay a lot of attention and let's get to this week's episode. Awesome. So everything is rolling, Julieta. Uh, Thank you. And I don't know if I I think I did mention that I'm very, if I do feel very, very lucky to have you on today. I can only imagine how busy you are, especially at this time of the year. Uh, So first of all, before we start everything, I really want to thank you for, for your time today.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
0: No, it's my pleasure having you here, Julieta. Now, uh, we're talking a little bit before we actually start recording this episode about what you do, you know? So just in case people are not familiar with what you guys do at the communications agency, you know, the communications store, can you tell us a little bit more about what you guys do? And then we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more about how you actually got started uh, in the industry.
1: Um, We are in the business of communications Mm-hmm. uh in the in in back in the day uh agencies like ours were called pr agencies for the benefit of doubt pr is uh best defined and described in this way pr is about what you do what you say you do but most importantly what other people say you do
2: mm-hmm. so if
1: you imagine that you were a brand uh that really matters Uh, Particularly in the age of social, mobile, digital communications of what other people say you do. So is a brand amazing? Is it a brand that people love, that people want to buy into? And we are in the business of communicating that to audiences. Um, We describe ourselves as a business as communications and strategic brand development. So we help brands in the space of fashion, beauty and lifestyle to really engage with their audiences and find ways through any channel we possibly think is right or relevant to give messages from brands to their audiences to tomorrow's
0: consumer. Amazing. And you know what, I actually had no idea that, you know, communication agencies was just another word for PR agencies. That's what they originally were called. Uh, Because I did notice that sort of, I mean, I guess they went through a rebranding sort of phase themselves. So it's very, very, very good that you actually told me about that. Now, I did do a lot of research before we actually got into this episode. And I can be very honest with you, I struggled finding things that you did before, just because you've been doing this for such a long time, correct me if I'm wrong, but 24 years plus. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's quite an early start for this sort of service. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you actually got started? What, what made you have the idea of, you know, starting your own PR agency, and then building that up to creating the business that you have today?
1: Um, It's a personal story. I uh, was at university in the UK and like many people, I'm sure had worked hard through school and university to get the best grades, to frankly have the best chance in the uh, employment space. And uh, three weeks before my final exams uh, at university, Um, My father died very suddenly overnight, uh, aged 58, and that really had a very big impact on my life. I think my father, who was very much my guide and mentor, had a whole bunch of different ideas about what my career would be. And in fact, um, because of my father's death, I had to return to Italy where I grew up and where my family lived to help my mother. Uh, with his uh, Everything that ensued after his death. So if you like at a point where I was going to start in the job market life took a different turn Wow, and really thereafter I fell into uh, PR in the very early 90s and really thought that it was the most amazing career choice and opportunity I felt that because it's incredibly varied. It requires an enormous variety of skills, from organisational skills to financial skills to creative skills to good copywriting skills to having a visual aesthetic eye. All sorts of different skills are required in this job. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: not least, one is also surrounded by Extraordinarily entrepreneurial, creative, brilliant people, and I just thought this is the most incredible career. And I don't know whether you've ever seen a movie that's called *The Devil Wears Prada*. Yeah. But course. but really, I understand it's going to be a musical now as well. But I found uh, in many iterations what I felt to be not such a fantastic office workplace, ethical workplace, in terms of how people were being treated in the office. And I didn't see that just in companies that I was working for. Companies as, as you saw in that movie. Mm -hmm. And um, one day I was, I was in my, uh, in, in the office where I was working and something happened that I just felt really pretty uncomfortable with, to be honest with you. Uh, Basically, we were asked to uh, increase our clients' fees by a certain amount of money for no particular reason at all that I could see. And I kind of really struggled with that. And I guess that in the wake of my father's death, I I think I thought that I could save the world and make change and, and have a real meaning on the time that I had left on this planet, however long that is. And I left the agency where I was, and I was incredibly lucky because two brands approached me and said, look, go freelance, start a company yourself, come in-house, but with this letter we guarantee you a year of retainer. Mm -hmm. So that really allowed me to take a moment, and I really mean a moment, like two weeks, to Mm -hmm. think about what I was looking for in my life and in my professional life. And I realized that the thing that really meant a lot to me was to find a place to work where, frankly, I would be treated and I would treat people the way that I wanted to be treated myself. It's a very, very, very simple mantra to say, very hard to do in practice, particularly in the pressurized environments of the modern workplace. Mm -hmm. And so, very simply, I shut myself in a dark room and I had a number of friends and family encouraging me and I wrote two business plans. One was a financial business plan, which was in, by the way, very modest. And the other was a sort of ethical business plan of how could you try and build a company and create a working environment where people were really nurtured and supported And where the very best of themselves was going to be brought out. A team spirit, a collaborative mentality, lack of office politics, lack of throwing other people under buses, lack of treating junior people uh, in an unkind way. And 24 years later, I think I'm still trying to do exactly that.
0: Amazing. Wow. What a story. And I mean, it's... I think that it's particularly admirable that you took this approach, especially nowadays because of the internet that people have a lot more access to to information and there's a lot more transparency required from any type of business out there about, you know, corporate, not only social responsibility, but corporate, corporate responsibility and corporate ethics. So, I mean, this was 25 years ago, you know, if, if you heard this story from somebody right now, you'd be like, well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, but for you to, to take on that sort of journey so long, well, not so I don't want to say so long ago, but 25 is, years ago, so I mean, it must've been something terrifying because there was, there was probably not one thing that pointed in the direction that this was going to be a, 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 a business opportunity. Was it, or was there something that just made you know that this was going to work out?
1: It's a, it's a really interesting question. And the answer is, um, I believe that you should be in every aspect of your life who you are. You should be true to yourself. And very often what happens is that when you enter the job market and you're desperate for a job, basically, certainly I was, and -hmm. you need to earn a living, you kind of sometimes... Try and emulate the behaviors of what you think that company or organization wants you to be.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: you kind of dress in that way, or you behave in that way, or you know, like Google people might look one way and Facebook people might look another way, or you know, you kind of try to emulate a style or a culture when you come into the workplace. And I really fundamentally believe that. Wherever you are in your life, you should be true to your values and true to who you are as a human being, and that you must never forget that. And to that end, when I started banging my drum about this 25 years ago, as you say, 24 years ago, um, I was belittled, I was patronized, I was made to feel, or rather, not made to feel, but I felt that people wanted me to feel that I was this sweet little person extolling Mm -hmm. values that were very kind and very lovely. But to be successful in business, you had to be cutthroat. You had to be ruthless. You had to, to a degree, be ego-driven because you had to look after number one and get to the top of the ladder. Mm -hmm. And whilst I... Uh, have got very specific views about gender in, in the workplace and the role of all genders in the workplace and their incredible value and importance. I have to say, without wanting to manbash, that back in the day when I was obviously much, much younger, I felt often that I was being talked about at being good at the softer skills, but that actually nobody believed that I could be successful, whatever you deem success to be, in the workplace because I was too focused on, dare I say it, the girly bits.
0: Yeah. Awesome. No, and, and that's that's amazing to hear because it, that that point of view still stands nowadays. You know, you still you still think of somebody that's successful either in their corporate career or in their entrepreneurial career. And you know, you you picture this, you know, assertive, as you said, sometimes aggressive, narcissistic even, you know, person, when in reality is that there's a lot more opportunity for people that are genuine to who they are. Yes, assertive in their values, but that doesn't mean that you have to compromise ethics and morale and the the environment in your company just for that quote unquote success that everybody thinks that you should have. So uh, I guess what I wanted to ask you before was that because you started this 24 years ago and you had so many things going against you to actually make this a success, there must've been something, maybe a small win or a small fact or something that you sort of knew that the other people the the people that didn't believe in you didn't understand or didn't know. Was there that one something or was it just purely just confidence, self-belief and what you were doing?
1: I don't don't think it was one thing. I think Uh it was um, a sort of steady path, step by step of the Mm -hmm. world and the business moving towards my belief system. So Mm -hmm. for example, um we would be hiring people obviously the company started with one person that was myself i think now we're nearly 200 that people would stay at the business they 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 would stay with us our, our retention rates in terms of uh people being employed by the communications store was high And people would come to interviews here and say, I want to work at the communication store because I've understood that you have these sets of values. Mm
2: -hmm. And then they
1: would come and they would be like minded and our company values spoke to them. And so internally, we were starting to build this culture of a group of people who knew each other, trusted each other, were loyal to one another and worked very, very hard for one another. Mm -hmm. And then you got clients. We got clients that had the same values and we kind of started to really find our community that had very specific shared values and ethics. And so I could see that the business slowly, slowly, step by step, no free lunches, no miracles, no fast solutions, was building in a very holistic, integral way, Mm -hmm. step by step. And every new person that came to the business would say to me, oh, I've been working in this place, and I've been so unhappy, and this happened to me, and I was treated in this way. And And I could just see that really talented people wanted to find a place to work where they could be their best selves, drive their greatest potential, and frankly be rewarded, celebrated, and appreciated for what they brought to the company amazing and that's, and that's really the the truth and i and I have to say that to the point that we were earlier around softer skills, what people got confused about along my journey was that I wouldn't be capable of doing the tough stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to cut costs. Sometimes when you're running a business, you have to let people go. Sometimes you get it wrong and make a mistake. Sometimes you're badly let down or even people are dishonest with you. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't handle those things head on. I absolutely do. But it is the way that one does those things that is the key driver here, the point of difference. So for example, if I have to ever let somebody go, I do that in a very respectful way, thinking consciously, what if I was in your shoes? How would that feel?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't just take the, I can, ex- you're, you're totally expendable now. You have no value to me. So the quicker this is done, boom, gone.
2: Mm-hmm. That is not
1: how we do things. And so that's really been the journey. It's been slow and steady. Mm-hmm. And I do, very gratefully realize that the world is kind of coming my way, and that actually, in the climactic world that we live in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the world that we live in in terms of social inequality and terrible discrepancies, uh-huh. that a company like ours here at the communications store just chasing profit despite everything else is, in my books, not, not enough anymore. We have to have a social impact, we have to have an environmental impact, and we have to run a business and make a positive financial impact. But it's okay. not one of those things at the cost of the others.
0: Amazing. And do you think, based on everything that you're seeing, and I guess I'm lucky to be having your opinion on this because you work with so many different types of businesses, do you think this is a model that is replicable and more than, I guess more than replicable, do you think that it's a model that every company has to start adopting? Do you think it's something that, you know, in 2030, maybe even before that years from now, there just won't be any more space for companies that don't follow this ethical approach to their corporation.
1: I think, my answer of course would be yes and i think that you and i both read the news enough mm-hmm. to see that uh, some of the great icons of business history you know are, are are now struggling with the idea that perhaps profit has been chased at the cost of many other things that I wouldn't certainly want to go to sleep on myself. And I'm sure that I don't need to give you global examples of, of business leaders or indeed brands who have who have got it wrong in mm-hmm. the relentless chasing of profit above all else. And mm-hmm. I think that the, that the more complex answer to your question is that it's very very easy to say we're going to run a business and do unto others you know treat other people the way we want to be treated ourselves that's super easy anybody can say that and we were probably all taught that at school the difficulty is is actually acting that out in practice okay. all day every day when the chips are down when pressure is on you mm-hmm. and the the truth is as we move towards a more open discussion around stress, anxiety, mental health, etc., is that all human beings are different, and they react to stressful situations very differently. And we all have an, an ego, and I always put it in a slightly dramatic way that humans are iniquitous, we're ambitious, we're competitive, we're aggressive, we're vindictive, you know, we, we, we express a lot of these emotions. And I think that particularly at work, where we're all trying to earn a living and do the best that we can, our instinct is when it's stressful, is to lash out on those around us. Very often you find people saying, "Oh, well, it's not my fault, that person's fault in my team, they're useless, and I'm fantastic. And actually, Breaking those behaviors down and actually getting people to talk honestly with one another is an enormous uh, undertaking and and a huge challenge for how we um, operate in the workplace of tomorrow. But I believe it can be done and I believe it will be done. And I think that already if you... Go to academic business training, entrepreneurial training, these conversations are front and center. You know, you now go to trainings where they say, you know, of the nine intelligences, the intelligence that today's uh, chief executive uh, officer needs is emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I believe that to be true. That's where we can really make enormous change. And fundamentally, I believe that. If you celebrate somebody's achievements and tell them when they've done a good job, they go on to do even greater things. If you constantly tell somebody how useless they are, they, they come to believe that and they actually are less productive, in my opinion.
0: And now, we'd like to take a quick commercial break to thank our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Your Social Component. At Your Social Component, we help fashion and e-commerce business owners automate and scale their online sales using the best online advertising strategies out there. If you're looking for a marketing agency that completely understands your industry and can scale your fashion and e-commerce business to the next level, make sure you get in touch through our website at YourSocialComponent.com. Now let's continue with this week's episode. Wow. So yeah, it's sort of I mean it's sort of like any business where you have to you have to listen to your customer and you have to adapt to whatever works best for them just in this particular case as a corporation towards, you know, their employees, you have to make sure that the environment that you create is something that makes it not only something extremely uh, uh, an environment that they actually want to work in, develop themselves at and build relationships in, but a place where they're going to feel you know, accepted that it's not sort of like they have to go up and show up to work, but it's just part of their lifestyle. Uh, I think that's why it's
1: funny. Um, I was talking to uh, a young woman uh, who works actually uh, at a client uh, of the communication store. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, a very culturally driven company with extraordinary uh, sustainability ethics. And she said, I work here not because it's my job, it's my chosen way of life.
2: Thought
1: mm-hmm. well, that was really lovely because she doesn't see her work as a work. It's It's an environment that she believes in and supports and wants to be part of. So that's when your work starts to have a much greater purpose as opposed to, Oh, what a nightmare! My alarm clock has gone, and I have to go to that place to make a crust.
0: Mm-hmm. And not to mention that she probably is able to communicate that to not only their customers but to the people that make up the company, right?
1: Absolutely right. And that, that sort these, of that sort of that, emotion is infectious, yeah. you
0: know. Of course, of course, because at the end of the day, your your role as a leader is to have that clear vision, have that, as you said, uh, passion for the thing that you're doing and being able to inspire the people that work around you to follow their lives in the same way.
1: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And and I have to say, you know, I'd love to tell you that it's all sunshine and roses and so easy. The truth of the matter is, is that as an organization evolves and more and more people come, it gets harder to maintain culture and make sure that a wider group of people are properly looked after being communicated with in the way that they want to be. And, and so it's, it's certainly not something that I treat lightly or think is easy. I think this is an extraordinary challenge, but one that I feel very, very passionate about.
0: Awesome. And Linking to something that you said before, I think would be a great answer or a great follow-up question to what you just said is that I remember saying that this was something that, you know, was, it was built very, very slowly, brick by brick. It wasn't something that, you know, you expected or wanted even to grow from one day to the next, you know, a thousand fold. Do you think that that slow process is the only way for something like this to get to the scale? to where it is, because I can't imagine that if a company starts getting, you know, scalable or exponential success from a very, very early stages, I don't, I, to be honest with you, I don't even know if it's possible for them to be able to establish this ethical corporate culture while at the same time having exponential growths. Do you think it's something that's possible? Or do you think that companies nowadays and entrepreneurs to have a more long-term vision, focusing on slowly integrating this mindset into their, into their company?
1: Oh, it's a, it's a brilliant question that you ask me. Um, one of my mantras is bigger, isn't better. Better Mm -hmm. is better. Um, one of the words that I find most extraordinary in the sort of last decade of business narrative and language is accelerated. It's an accelerated model Mm -hmm. that we want to scale as quickly as possible. And at the same time, we have the slow food movement. We have huge issues around fast fashion, because mm-hmm. these uh, businesses, uh, you know in terms of fast, have been built as quickly as possible and are trying to scale as quickly as possible. Do I think that it's harder to maintain culture in a, in a culture that in, a, in an organization that is built more quickly? Perhaps, but in the end, I think it's all about leadership, and I think that a culture does somehow, whilst I don't like the traditional hierarchical sort of uh, model of seniority in in businesses,
2: mm-hmm. I think
1: that culture does pervade from the top, whatever the top is. and I think that if your leadership is behaving in a certain way, I think that does pervade. However, quickly or slowly you build a business. If you're asking me if I've put more time and effort and energy in trying to protect that culture over a long period of time, yes. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that, you know, we saw that with the financial crash, didn't we? In 2009, people Mm -hmm. trying to make huge amounts of money as quickly as possible, but a lot of those pies were built with a ton of air pockets, somewhere in their growth layers and suddenly all over yes and it all came crashing down all at once didn't it Mm -hmm. to enormous enormous devastation of many many millions of people and in fact the world won't ever be the same again so it is my way to do things slowly and steadily and you know one of my favorite words is to be considered you know what's the impact of what we're doing what's mm-hmm. the impact of this interview who could I help how long will this be around am I thinking carefully about what I'm saying to you or do you just do something because it's quick and it's fast and it's you know an extra piece of content who cares mm-hmm. and, and, and that's something that's very much part of my personality and, and actually in my office I have a, a little oil painting of the tortoise and the hare, a story that I'm sure you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, there wouldn't be a, per- a more perfect story to uh, <laughs> to back up what we're talking about right now.
1: Yes, and funnily enough, in in sport also, um, I'm definitely not a sprinter, but if you set me to task on on a, on a, on an endurance sport, I'd be just fine. <laughs>
0: amazing. And you know what, Julietta, the reason why I'm, why I'm why I wanted to talk about this specifically is because yes, exactly as you said, we I think that right now we're sort of a, in a point or in a stage of society where speed and consumption is what is the status quo for consumers and for people in general. So corporate and companies adapt to this need of, you know, speed, consistent demand. And they don't not only do that with their products, they also do that with the way their companies are structured and My question was to see if how viable it is to be able to succeed with that sort of mindset if you still want to keep a corporate culture that is you know ethical and can work in long long periods of time. Uh, I guess to simplify the question that I want to ask next is I'm sure that in your personal journey, you've, you've, because as you said, you work with, I mean, 200 people now, which is a massive, massive amount for an agency. So I'm sure you've come, you've gotten to a point where everything started growing very, very quickly out of a sudden. And I'm guessing that you sort of felt that it was all going to be, you know, just, it was just all falling off out of your hands. So what sort of approach did you have to, whenever this happened, you know, results, operations were scaling, everything was just going faster and faster that you were like, you know what? I have to do something to stick to the original idea, the original values that I had to my company while at the same time being able to adapt to what the market is asking, you know, the, the growth that the market is asking for my company. Did you ever have some sort of scenario like that?
1: I don't think so, really. I think that um, my sort of entrepreneurial experience was um, started with not calling this agency under my name, like Dexter mm-hmm. PR. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I didn't do that was because I could see this business model where the person who put their name above the door was kind of it. Yeah. And I never really wanted to be it. Because I felt that you could do that with, I don't know, five, seven, nine, ten clients. But then you couldn't scale. Like, how could you do that? Because the client always wanted the person with their name above the door in the room, right? Of course. And so I felt, uh, you know, in my early 20s that that was a flawed business model. And that the way that I visualized it, in a way, was... You know when you're holding an umbrella above your head and it keeps the rain off?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It keeps the rain off because the structure of the umbrella is kept alive and doing its job because of the different spokes around the umbrella. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah. And my, in my visualization was that I would pull together the best people in the industry to be the spokes on a very horizontal level with one another, like a collective of partners. You know, lawyers and accountants work like this in a sort of partnership model, if you like, mm-hmm. where we could use the umbrella of the communications store. So what, what is above the door is what we do. We communicate. We don't put my name above the door. We actually do the doing above the door, which is communications. Mm-hmm. And then we would start to try and entice the best brains and experts in the business to come and build that umbrella together. And that's exactly what has happened. And I realized very early on that this business was not about me, that I could be, if you like, the the purveyor of culture and hopefully the keeper of excellence and guardianship in what we do all day, every day. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: there is the most impressive leadership team here who are all the communications store and if you like have their names above the door and take real ownership and responsibility for this business its culture and its clients and i guess many years ago now i realized that one key lesson in business is to realize that you can't be good at everything know your skills and then find other people that are better at you in different things so for example Finding the best finance director, finding the best talent and people director, finding the best strategist, finding the best person in digital strategy, etc. And so it's gone on. So we have a leadership team here now. I've actually just come out of our Monday working together meeting
0: mm-hmm. where
1: leadership meets. I think there are about 17 of us, and we work together and that model has really worked for us and i think that it has allowed us to scale as much as we want to scale and as quickly as we can possibly on board and get to know and build trusted relationships with new colleagues it takes time you know just chucking people in a room together and say okay go work make money it can be very tricky personalities get in the way and it takes time to really find those commonalities, know what you're individually good at and work respectfully with, with a team of people. It doesn't just happen overnight in my experience.
0: Amazing. And yeah, it's no wonder you hear every, I mean, every big like truly successful either entrepreneur or business person or spokesperson or whoever, they always say that the most important thing in business is in fact attracting that talent, you know, those unicorns. Now, it's a lot more easier said than done, of course. So in your particular case, do you think that having a company, uh, corporate culture in your company, such like the way it was, attracted people of that talent to work there? Or was it sort of a, when you were starting out, you were just more doing your own human resources, reaching out to people, finding talent? Or was it more than people wanted to work in your company as soon as they started hearing what it was like to work within it?
1: I think one of the moments to contradict what I said to you earlier, that was quite meaningful for us, was that the Daily Telegraph newspaper many years ago created a business club. I think it was called the Daily Telegraph business club. Mm -hmm. And they invited us to film a, a, a four minute film about culture values and ethics in the workplace at the communications store. And that was a very, very useful piece of content for us as a business. Because in four short minutes it said what we stood for, who we were, and what we did. Excuse me. And every single person that came for a job interview here through all sorts of channels, LinkedIn or, you know, recruiters, etc., said, I want to work in your company because I've watched that video and I understand what you said.
2: (laughs) Wow. So
1: that was super helpful. I have to say because it actually attracted the sort of people who shared the same values as as we have.
0: Talk about perks of having a, a, an agency that knows how to communicate stuff, right?
1: <laughs> it was it was really very lucky and uh, I feel enormously grateful to the Daily Telegraph for that for that piece of film. I think it was shot in 2006 from memory. And, uh, I think it's embedded somewhere in our website still, but it was, uh, it was a very, very helpful film.
0: Amazing. Well, Julia, I did tell you, I was going to keep you less than an hour because I know it's Monday. You know, there's a lot of things to do on a Monday in a busy city like London. So just before we wrap everything out, uh, there's a question that I always leave for last and it's a very tough question. So if you have to stay quiet to think about this for a couple of seconds, don't worry. I understand. And my audience is also already used to it. So just a heads up. And that question is, if you had to go all the way back, you know, you're still 20 years old, you're thinking about starting this company, or you're already starting it, you know, you're at the early stages, what would be the best piece of advice that you'd give yourself and why?
1: I want to, first of all, go back to the point about being busy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If I may, and I hope this is useful advice to to your audience, everybody's busy, and people are so kind and thoughtful like you have been on this busy Monday to say, you know, oh Julieta, you know i'll I'll kind of wrap up because you must be so busy and and I always say to people, "Sure, I'm busy, but so are you, and everybody in their own lives has got a lot on their plates we just live at that time where we're meant to be achieving and doing and being and doing all all of it all at once and to be honest with you when i'm asked to do something like this if there's anything at all that i can share with people who are coming into the business environment that to me is the greatest privilege to share anything that i've learnt with uh, anybody who is just a few years behind me in their professional lives. And uh, it's one of the things that I talk about a lot is, yeah, we're all busy chasing our tails, but actually inspiring if I can in any way at all, the next generation of people coming into the workplace to me is is the greatest use of my time, to be honest with you. So it's really a privilege to talk to you today and for you to so generously ask me the questions that you have. If I could go back, I really feel extraordinarily lucky in how things have panned out for me. I have worked exceptionally hard, and I think I've worked a lot harder than perhaps other people might want to work, and therefore. I don't regret that. It is a personal choice that I've made and it's worked out for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think sometimes knowing, and I say this in a way that I hope it will be understood, none of this really matters. It's really important to remember from time to time mm-hmm. because I've gotten myself so het up and so focused, and so, you know, hardworking at all hours of the day or night, that I think if somebody somewhere along the line just sometimes could have taken me off the treadmill and said, just breathe, the sun shines, you're healthy, it's all going pretty good, Um, just keep going. And I'll I'll, I'll finish by telling you a, a funny story, which was a bit of a uh, an aha moment for me uh, mm-hmm. between my office and the sort of communal areas of our office where the uh, restrooms are, where the toilets are. Um, there's a pretty long runway, there's a pretty long corridor. And uh, in a few years back, I decided that I wasn't sleeping. It was about quarter to three in the morning, and I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to go into the office. And I'm going to do a few hours work and really nail it before the day starts. My husband rolled over and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to the office. He said, you're really nuts. You really are. It was winter. I arrived. I let myself into the office and I took off my shoes. I took off my coat, my jumper. I was in a t-shirt, no shoes on. And I decided to go down to the restrooms outside into the communal areas which needs a pass to get you back into the office and as I got to the restrooms I looked in my hand and my pass had fallen out in the office (laughs) so it was three o'clock in the morning I was freezing cold I couldn't get back in the office and I thought enough you got to learn to sleep at night and work in the day
0: (laughs) wow well, I mean, that's a, that's a lesson that, I, <laughs> that's a situation that I'm sure you, you wish you would avoided or not based on the lesson that you learned, right? <laughs>
1: it was a bit of a wake up call, like, okay, you know, <laughs> take a chill pill sometimes and maybe uh, stay at home in the night. Um, but yeah, it was funny. Wow.
0: Well, well, I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's a very, very inspiring journey, the one that you've had. and And to be honest, one that you don't hear a lot of. And I think that that you don't hear enough of most importantly so uh Julieta, is there any can you can you tell us a little bit more about where maybe people that are very interested to learn what you guys do a little bit more information what you guys do at the communication store and i know that you have a book coming out so can you give us a little bit more information about all that so that my audience can make sure that they keep in touch with the sort of information that you're providing and make sure they check that book out whenever it's released
1: That's very kind of you. In terms of what we do, I think that our website is is really the place to go and shows you the wonderful brands that we are so proud to uh, represent. And as I said at the beginning of our conversation, we really are about integrated PR and communications in a multi-channeled world with technology and AI and AR changing what we do on a day-to-day basis as opposed to a week-by-week basis. I'm very lucky to work with an extraordinary group of people who share uh, our cultural values and specifically those are the values of passion in what we do, in care in everything that we do and how we treat each other, in strength and in wisdom. And those are our four company values and actually when we're recruiting people We kind of have a little checklist, like, is this person passionate? Are they caring? Are they wise? Are they strong? And that's really the fundament to our recruitment tool. And I'm very excited about the future of the company. We're independently uh, owned. Uh, We have offices in London and New York. We activate in the West Coast, in in LA for a lot of brands uh, on a pretty ongoing basis as well. And I suppose that in my spare time, or rather maybe at three o'clock in the morning, (laughs) (laughs) I have uh, been working on a book uh, project which is about uh, business values and culture. The title of the book is going to be called Good Company How to Build a Business Without Losing Your Values. And really, that book, I hope, will be part personal journey, part how to useful tips, real life scenarios with tips and advice on how to manage those situations in the workplace. And also um, an illustration of industry icons and businesses that I have seen do these things incredibly well, and in some cases not so well. So I'm hoping that that book will be published in. April 2020.
0: Awesome. So you guys heard it already. Make sure you stick to it for April 2020 for the book because it sounds like it's going to be amazing. Now, Julieta, uh, wrapping whole thing everything up, really, I cannot thank you enough for being on this episode with us today. It was an incredible episode. I feel a topic that cannot get enough awareness. So it really means a lot to have you here.
1: Thank you very much for uh, an amazing opportunity and also for all the work that you do that I think is so meaningful.
0: Thank you. It means a lot. If you want to learn even more about how you can start your own fashion brand, make sure you follow me on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Future of Fashion Business. Make sure you subscribe to listen to our future episodes.